Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, if uh, you grab one of these off your seat, if you're wondering what this is, this is the name of our new series. It's called One Another. And uh, we're just gonna give you a little card to take home because when we look at this whole idea of one another, it, it talks about action. It's not just something that we're gonna engage with intellectually over the next couple of weeks. It is actually, there's an action step in the one another series. Like when the Bible talks about one another, it actually talks about what we do. It's, it's a doing action. And so we're gonna be looking at that because the Scriptures right from the very beginning, make it very clear that in our faith journey, it's not just about how we're doing with God. It's not just a vertical relationship. And, and the Bible talks a lot about how we relate to God and how God relates to us and uh, how that looks. If you go back to the earliest parts of the Scripture as God was establishing relationship with people and probably the most famous uh, giving of the law that most people, whether you're a church goer or not, would understand the Ten Commandments. The first few commandments talk about how we relate to God, how God relates with us and how that should look. And when we gather together, obviously the first part of our service is about us spending time just through song and through music and what we call worship, engaging and saying some things about God that really matter some things that help align our hearts in that vertical relationship. But it's not just about getting that right. The greatest example of how faith is going for us is about how we deal with one another. And that's not as easy because God is perfect and we're not, right? And so part of the challenge of doing life together and doing faith is actually in the way we treat one another, we care for one another, we love one another. And that's sometimes the harder thing because you're, a broken person and I'm a broken person and so sometimes you're really hard to love and I'm really hard to love and all of you wearing maroon this morning, you're especially hard to love, <laughs> right? So I wore a blue shirt because it was the closest thing I could get to, you know, just stating today where I stand. But the one another bit sometimes isn't easy, is it? But it's littered all through Scripture. Let's have a look at some of the verses that talk about one another, how we deal with each other. Romans 12, be devoted to one another and honour one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15, accept one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians, bear with each other and forgive one another. 2 Corinthians, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now this is the one I don't fully understand. Why don't you look at your partner right now and greet them with that? No, <laughs> All the new people are going, that weird church that meets in the school and they did this kissing thing in the middle. I, I have no idea. It's the one command I'm happy to give up on today is greeting one another with a holy kiss. But you get the idea right through the Scriptures, the New Testament, it talks about how we are to deal with one another. We're to honour, we're to show compassion, we're to be kind, we're to love, we're to encourage, we're to serve, we're to forgive, we're to care for. All of these actions that determine the way we live together. And so much of the Scripture is actually teaching us how we do community well. 
I wanna talk about uh, just a, a statement Jesus made as He's meeting with His disciples in the days before His death that I think is one of the greatest statements that you will ever read, but one of the most challenging. It comes from John's Gospel, chapter 13. We're gonna sit in John 13 today because what I wanna talk about today is this whole idea of what it is to love one another. And Jesus says this, just in the midst of a random bunch of things that He's saying, He says, a new command that I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. In other words, Jesus says, I've been an example to you of what this looks like and now you must imitate me. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now I find that last little bit the most challenging of that whole statement. Love one another. Like it's, it's, it's big in implication. But the back end of it, I find more challenging than anything else Jesus says in that statement because He says, by this, the way you love one another, it's the thing that's gonna help people that are currently outside the community of faith to look in and determine whether you are Jesus people is by the way you love one another. Get this, right? It's not how much you know. It's not how articulate you are in telling people about the Bible or what the Bible says they should do in their life. It's not how often you come to church. It's not whether you put a fish on your car or a cross around your neck that makes people recognise that you're a follower of Jesus. The thing that marks you as a follower of Jesus, that those that are currently outside of the Christian faith, when they look in on how you are with others around you, the thing that marks you as different is the way you love, the way we love one another. Now I'm challenged by that statement because I've experienced great love from people that are far from God. And some of you right now have experienced incredible love and incredible community from your sporting club or from the local uh, RSL that you're a part of or from the parents group that you've connected with through your kids' school. So love is not something that sits exclusively within the church, but Jesus says when people look in on my people, the thing that's gonna differentiate them from everybody else is the way that they love one another. The question I wanna ask this morning is, what kind of love steps above the love that we experience in all other facets of society and sets us apart such that when people look at us here at Gateway Ormo, they're gonna look at us and go, there is something about the way those people are together that differentiates their love from anything I've seen or experienced anywhere else. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church that I want us to be that we don't need to go and tell people that we're loving. We don't need to proclaim with signs and banners and statements and you know reiterating stuff that we're good people and we're loving people and we're welcoming people and we're caring people. I want people that have never met us to look on us when we're together and say there is something compelling about the way those people are when they are together. Is that the kind of church that we wanna be? Absolutely. So what is it? What is the kind of love that stands out from above all others? Well, I wanna go back to John 13 now, but I wanna go into the context before Jesus makes this statement about love one another as I've loved you, love one another. And this is how people are gonna know that you're my people. I wanna go back to the context of John 13 and, and read it for us. We're gonna start right from verse one. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them 
to the end. Now the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And let's just pause it there for a minute. Let's just get the scene here. Jesus had gathered with His disciples. Uh, a disciple is someone that just follows. It's like Jesus as a teacher, they as the students, and we call them disciples. They're following Jesus. They're living with Jesus. They're walking around watching Jesus do what He does. And now they're sharing a meal together. And John's setting this right before Jesus walks to His final destination of the cross. And it says that sharing the evening meal and Jesus had these 12 guys that had spent the last couple of years with Him. They'd done everything together. They knew each other closely. They knew each other, you know, all the good and the bad bits about what it was to do life together. And John makes it very clear that in the midst of those 12 is one who already in his heart had determined that he was gonna betray Jesus. Now Jesus has got an inkling of this. Here's the first thing I wanna say about the kind of love that sets us apart. With the scene that's about to play out, we need to understand Judas is part of the scene. The love that Jesus is about to show and lavish on His disciples and the example that Jesus is about to make, Judas is still sitting at that table. Let's rewind to Matthew chapter five, one of the greatest sermons, that, or the greatest sermon, not one of the greatest, the greatest sermon ever preached. It was known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says what have become some of the most quoted words of revolutionary teaching on love that have ever been spoken out the mouth of someone else. Jesus says these words, you need to learn to love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he goes on to say, let's think about love for a minute. Love's really, really easy to give and to show to someone that loves you in return. And we all know that, don't we? You think about the people that you're sitting in the pews with today, those that show you a level of affection, those that encourage you, those that bless you, those that are friendly to you. Man, it is easy to reciprocate all those things onto that person. Jesus says, even the worst people in the world can do that. That's really easy to love those who love you. But I wanna tell you, if you wanna take love to a new level, you need to learn to love those who will never reciprocate, who will never give anything back, and actually those that you would class as your enemies. That's what love needs to look like. And so now in this scene in John 13, Jesus is about to show us that it wasn't just words that He spoke. Jesus is no hypocrite. He's about to show the very action of what it means to love those who hate you. And Judas already has determined that he's gonna betray his friend. But with the scene that's about to be played out, Jesus is gonna show what it means to love His enemy. If we wanna answer the question of what kind of love stands out from all others, one of the first things we need to understand is that it's a love that's extended to those that have no love for us. If you wanna learn to love the way that Jesus loves, if you wanna learn to love in such a compelling nature that those outside are gonna look in and wonder what's going on with those people, we need to find a way, not just to love those that are diametrically opposed to us, but to love those that are different from us within these walls, to love those in these pews that just the people that hear and we never speak it, but the people that drive you nuts. And if you hang out here long enough, you'll find somebody that drives you nuts. I probably drive some of you people nuts. Well, guess what? You've got to love me. No. <laughs> that's the kind of love that's compelling. Is a love that's shown even to those that can't reciprocate love. In return, let me continue with the story. Verse three, I think this is one of the greatest verses in this passage. Verse three, Jesus knew 
So the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Jesus, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. I wanna sit here for a minute today because I wanna talk to us about power and what power looks like in love. We're talking about the power to love. Not the power of love, but the power to love. Just sit in that statement. Just leave that verse up for us, Zaki, if you can. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. In this moment, reclining at the table with His closest friends, Jesus had a full realisation. We don't understand how this happened or when this happened, but Jesus had full realisation of who He is, who He was and the power that He carried. You know, elsewhere in this discourse, Jesus says this. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. In other words, what Jesus says, He places Himself in a pretty exclusive place. He actually says, I am God in the flesh. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And when people say, if God just showed Himself to me, if I could see what God was like, then I might believe in Him. Well, God's already done that for us. He gave us Himself in the flesh, the person Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see the perfect representation of God. See, Jesus has already said to us, when you see me, you see the Father, for we are one. If you wanna know what God's like, study the life of Jesus. You're gonna get surprised by how good He is, how loving, how compassionate, how gracious, how welcoming Jesus is. That's what God is like. But Jesus in this moment, at this meal, says He knew, He knew the power that sat within Him. He's sitting at a table thinking, I wonder what these guys would think if I told them the creation story. Because when the Bible says that before anything material existed, I was there. And John actually starts his gospel different from all the other gospel writers by saying, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and He was there in the beginning. John's already placed Jesus back in that pre-creation space. Perfect unity with the Father, the Son, the Spirit hovering over this empty void. And then Jesus was present as the Word was spoken that brought all things into being. And Jesus sitting at this meal with his friends knows that the power within him spoke everything that is into being. Everything that is, everything that will be came from the heart and the creativity of God himself. And Jesus in that moment knew the power that he invested. He knew the way that everyone sitting at that table had been knitted together in their mother's womb. Jesus knew that he was the ancient of days. He'd seen every season through history come and go. Imagine if you had that full realisation and you knew the power, you knew that your word could speak things into being. You knew that you had all power and authority to get things the way that you wanted them. That's the realisation Jesus has at this meal as He reclines with His disciples. Jesus knew the Bible says that He had all things put under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. 
Jesus had this power that was power of all knowledge, all wisdom uh, and understanding of how things were done. Jesus had access to every resource. Jesus knew He had the power that could unlock everything on heaven and on earth. You know what? In our culture, power is so often a stepping stone to self-interest. In other words, when we gain power, we get to manipulate things to work for us. What does Jesus do when He has His full realisation of the power? Let me read it as it plays out. It says this, Jesus knew knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Jesus had full knowledge of all power and in that moment, the thing He chooses to do is to take the filthiest part of his mate's bodies. Middle Eastern culture work, walking dusty roads in sandals. They probably came to the meal already having their evening wash and their shower. And so the only thing dirty about them would have been their feet. And so the God of all power gets down on the ground and takes the feet of middle-aged Middle Eastern man. If you want to come and see what that's like, I'll go walk in the dirt for a couple of hours and you can wash my feet and you can churn in the stomach at that experience. That is how Jesus chooses to use His power. Let me ask a question for a minute. What is power? Because so many of us here don't realise that we actually hold it, that we hold this incredible power. You think, I have no power. Well, some of us have power because of our status the role we play in life or the job that we have or where we sit in the organisational structure. You see, for some of us, that gives us power. For some of us, we carry power because of our wealth. We have great resource and resource gives us power. For some of us, we have power because of our incredible intellect. In other words, we, we just, we're smart people and, and knowledge sometimes people say is power. Like if you understand stuff, it gives you power. Some of us have power physically because of our strength. And we, you know, we grew up dominating the schoolyard because of our strength. Some of us have power purely because of the place that we were born, which is probably the thing that puts all of us in this room in a space. You know, the last couple of weeks, we're talking about Gateway Beyond and we're talking about some of the things that we as a church do to put food on other people's tables. Well, the fact that by whatever circumstance you were born in this space means that most of us don't worry tonight whether there's gonna be food on our table or shelter over our heads or the chance to educate our kids or the opportunity either to go to work tomorrow or at least go and find work freely. See, all of us in this room carry some level of power. And so Jesus in this moment shows us how we should display love in the midst of the power that we carry. And the first thing he does is this. Jesus helps us understand that someone's value is inherent to who they are. It's got nothing to do with what they do or what they possess. And we need to get this this morning. If we wanna understand what it means to love one another, we need to actually start looking at one another, not through the lens of what we do or who we are or how much we've got, 
or how smart we are or how good we look or any of those things. We need to look at one another and the first thing that needs to happen in our hearts is we need to understand that inherent in every person is a value that will never change, it will never increase, it will never decrease. It's not something that you can add to, it's not something that you can take away with. We've actually sung about it this morning. When we sing the words, I am a child of God, that is the full stop message of your value. And if we understand our value, all of a sudden we don't get driven by becoming something that we're not. Our identity is not found in who we are or what we do or what we achieve. Our identity and our value is found full stop in who we are before God. And Jesus in this moment shows us what it is to show value to people because He doesn't treat people through any other lens other than who they are created to be, a child of God. And if we want to know the best way to show power, uh, show love in power, we need to understand the inherent value of one another. You see, when power gets out of balance, we start to see others as commodities or means to our own end. How dare we reduce God's, the pinnacle of God's creation to that? A person's value is far greater than their intellect, it's far greater than their status their wealth, their capacity, their productivity. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what your backstory is, how successful or unsuccessful you are, you stand as equals with everybody in this room in your value in God's eyes. We are children of God. And if we wanna understand the most appropriate way to exercise any power that we possess, it starts with understanding who we are with one another. Children of God, valued before a word comes out of our mouth, before an action of our hands. That leads to the next thing I wanna say about power. Jesus shows us that power then becomes something that we can use for the benefit of others. We live in a, in a world, in a culture that the narrative says, if you can actually grow in your influence or grow in your status or grow in your wealth or grow in your influence, that's good news for you because you have control over your own destiny and you can actually manipulate or move things so you get the benefit out of it. Uncle Ben says to Peter Parker in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. No truer a word has been spoken by a cartoon character. Because if you're in this space and you're a leader, I want the power that you carry just to weigh heavily on you for a moment. If you're in this space and you have resource, I want the responsibility of that to weigh heavily on you for a moment. If you're in this place today and you have great capacity or intellect or you're a boss, you lead others, you determine the outcome of others, I want you to weigh, let that weigh heavily on you for a moment. If you're someone who has the power to put food on your table, educate your kids, seek work freely and put a roof over your heads, I want you to let that weigh heavily on you for a moment. Because Jesus shows what it's like to have a realisation of having the greatest power that any person can possess and choosing to use that for the benefit of others, not for his own self-interest. If we want to display a love for one another, 
that is that compelling that those that are far from God look at us and wonder what's going on. Those of us that carry any level of power need to learn what it means to actually use that to influence for good and to build up others and to lift those out of the pit that right now aren't doing so well and to bring blessing and benefit to others. That's the kind of love that will change people's lives. Third thing I wanna say about power is this, and it's, it's a little bit of an in-house conversation. It's just for those that might be a regular part of, of a church community or this church community. You know, one of the things that we do is sometimes we aspire to particular roles within any sphere that we're at. And we look at particular roles within the church with the wrong eyes. And some of you young guys that are incredibly creative and I love seeing the creativity rising up from our young people here. But can I just tell you what, if the pinnacle space for you is to stand in front of people and worship, there's gonna be some hard road ahead of learning what it means to pour yourself out Because in the church, leadership is not about hierarchy, it's about function. Because what the Bible teaches is that everybody here carries a giftedness. Everybody here that has put their faith in Jesus and is filled with His Holy Spirit carries a giftedness that is to be for the benefit of the kingdom and for the benefit of the body of Christ. Some of that giftedness means that you're gonna stand up in front of people and lead. The Bible talks about leadership as a gift. But leadership's not about power and leadership is not about hierarchy. Leadership is purely about function. Good leaders help others thrive. Good leaders help others flourish. Good leaders are happy when someone rises up that's better than them and takes their space. Good leaders are the ones that don't need to take the credit and the glory for everything that's happened, but is happy to pour that out on others. You see, leadership is not about hierarchy, it's about function. And if you're in these pews today and you're called to lead, whether it be in the church or any sphere of life as a follower of Jesus, the thing that you're called to do is to use that function for the betterment of others, not for your own glory. Jesus shows us what it is to love in the midst of power. That's a great segue into the final part of this passage. Let me read the last chunk out of this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, that He'd come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist. And after that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Fast forward to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Jesus does not shirk back from who he is and what he's called to do. But he says this, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. If you wanna be great in the kingdom of God, guess what, it's a downward track. It's a descending track into greatness. Because in the kingdom, the greatest are the ones that serve. Two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, had an argument one day. You see, they'd started to work out Jesus was pretty special and there was gonna be some benefits from being aligned with Jesus. And so they say to him, they kind of sidle up to him a meal and they say, Jesus, one day, you know, when all this is done and you're in glory, like you are God and all that stuff, when, when you're in glory, 
I know that the best places at the table are gonna be on your left-hand side and on your right-hand side. You reckon, I don't know if anyone else has asked you this yet, Jesus, but if no one else has got their names on those seats, do you reckon you could actually reserve those seats for us? Because like that's the platinum seats, that's the gold row, that's the front seats at the concert. That is the place that we wanna be. That's the corporate box at the origin. That's the best place at the table. The others start moaning because they hear that these two have requested the seats of prominence and glory and they start moaning about it and start arguing, probably because their hearts were like, I can't believe they got him before me. But Jesus says, oh, you can't request that. It's not my decision to make. But let me tell you something, the greatest in the kingdom are those that learn to serve. If you wanna be great, understand what it is to take everything that Jesus has given you, every gift that you have, And in those moments where the opportunity presents to take off your outer garments, not literally, but just if you're like Soph today, we're in 48 layers because you'd think we're in Antarctica for church. (laughs) Take off your jacket. When no one's watching and there's no glory to be had and there's no photos gonna be taken and there's no stories gonna be written and there's no YouTube channel or front page press, but in that moment when nobody's watching, learn to serve. If you want to be great, learn to serve. If you want to lead, pick up the mop. If you want to be great, don't just care for those that are easy to care for. Care for the broken, the messed up, the hard work. That's the kind of love that people are going to look at from outside and look in and think, there is something about the way those people love that I've got to find out something about. In the kingdom, the greatest serve. I'm gonna get the band to come join me. Jesus, as I said before, Jesus was no hypocrite. Just some days later, Jesus showed us what it was like for the person that held the greatest power to serve us in the greatest way. Because at the end of that meal, Judas left the building and went and got the authorities and betrayed Jesus into their hands. And Jesus got dragged out. Remember, by this stage, He had full understanding of who He was and where He'd come from and the power that He carried, yet He got taken out, dragged out by the hands of those that He had created to be nailed on a tree that He had formed and to be killed out of love for you. Because the greatest action of love and power in the Scriptures was displayed through the complete emptying of Jesus Himself to the point where the King of all glory, the Ancient of all days, the God of all creation, is now stripped naked, beaten with a crown of thorns, plunged into His skull with rusty nails, placed through His hands, hung on a cross because that's what greatness looked like for Jesus. Jesus in John 15, as He continues this conversation with His disciples, says this, There is no greater love, or greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He spoke it and then He did it. And when people get a rec- uh, an understanding of that love, there's something that sets that love 
apart from the love that you can get in any community group or school, you know, coffee shop or... There is no greater love than to see that God who understood all things that held the glory and the power of all things in His hand chose to empty Himself to nothing because He wanted to make a way for you to have a relationship with Him. And so He allowed Himself to become nothing, Philippians says. Philippians 2 is the greatest passage in Scripture that all the glory and resource of heaven was available to God, but He allowed Himself to become nothing and hung on a cross because that's what love looks like. And if we wanna be people that know what it means to love one another, we need to learn the way of Jesus that is a descending journey of pouring ourselves out, of taking any resource that we have, any power that we hold, any glory that we seek and using it for the betterment and the benefit of one another. Because that is what Jesus did to the point where He hung on a cross for you. You got a little card on your seat or in your hand. It says, love one another on the front. And all it says on the back is, what does love require of me? And that's the question I want you to take away this morning. I want you to think about it as you drive home. I want you to stick it on your fridge. I want you to stick it in your computer or in your phone case. And sometime this week, ask yourself the question, what does love require of me? Because when we become people that imitate Jesus, our community will be transformed. Our life together will be transformed. And it's not about one or it's not about two, it's about all of us asking the question, what does love require of me? How do I pour myself out for the betterment of others? How do I go on the journey of greatness, which is actually a journey down? How do I use whatever power that I have, whatever resource that I've had, whatever intellect that I have, whatever position that I've had, not in self-seeking ways, but to build others up, to lift others up, to bless others care for others, to serve others? How am I when there's no one else watching, when there's no lights, cameras around? Because that's the kind of people that Jesus called us to be. Father God, this morning, I wanna thank You that we don't preach this as a great passage of intellect. We actually preach it because of Your example. You can talk about what it means to serve. You actually just took your robe off grabbed some dirty feet started washing them and then told us to actually model that in the way we care for, serve and love one another. You didn't just tell us that we should love one another. You allowed yourself, Jesus, to be nailed to a cross, naked, beaten, hung up for all to see as the greatest show of love and service for us. That's incredible. May we learn to love like that. May that love that we start to learn to show one another be so compelling that people can't help but ask, what's going on with you people? Let us be that church, Jesus. Let us be those people, Jesus. It starts with every one of us. Lord, as we ask the question of ourselves this week, what does love require of me? God, put some crazy thoughts in our head about the way that we're gonna care for those that are broken, the way we're gonna love those that are unlovable, the way that we're gonna love those that are our enemies, the way that we're gonna serve those who have no capacity to give anything back to us. Let us love like that, I pray. In Jesus' Name, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.